Let's look into the book of Acts chapter number 2. I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to go look at this. This chapter has been misused, misconstrued, uh, misinterpreted and uh, added to and took away from many times. But God has something to say here. And I believe we need to pay attention to it. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 said, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews. Told you what kind they were next. Devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. And we'll stop right there, but you'll read the next, you'll find out there's about 17 different nationalities of people there. And God unconfused the languages that day. And I appreciate it. Now you can be seated and I'll pray and bring you a message. Father, as we bow in your divine presence, Lord, we've already enjoyed the special singing, the congregational number and the choir singing. Lord, we've been blessed by being seated in heavenly places. Our soul has been stirred, strengthened, encouraged. Now, Lord, it's time for the meal. And I pray somehow you open heaven, spread the table before our soul, Lord, may we get something from glory that will help us to carry on when we get out of here. May the message, Lord, do something for us. May it strengthen, encourage us, and challenge us. And Lord, I pray that it will do its work in our heart, that we'll believe it, accept it, and apply it. And we'll give you the glory for what you're going to accomplish. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. I want to start basically like I did on Wednesday night. I want to go back and bring you to the place where we are because it fit Wednesday on that message. It'll fit again this morning. When you come to the Old Testament, to the New Testament, and by the way, this is New Testament. We come to the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. It's the wind-up of the Old Covenant. And we find when you read the four chapters of Malachi that 
People were distraught. They were going one way. God wanted to go another way. They were in the middle. They didn't know what to do. Maybe they didn't want to do it, whatever it was. And God was tired of it. Actually, he got so tired of it that he stopped speaking for 400 years. There were disgrace in the house of God, disgrace in the Word of God, and they were living their own way like we are today. Much like they did in the book of Judges. They didn't have anybody to answer to, so they did that which is right in their own eyes. We're living in America tonight or today that we're doing what we want to do. It don't make no difference where God's in it or not. If He is, we don't care. We just go ahead. And He said, that's not me. Then sit there and be quiet. It probably hit somebody. Are you with me? God wants us to honor His Word. So for 400 years, He was silent. They didn't hear nothing. And then, all of a sudden, chapter 1 of Matthew took over. And a Savior came into the world, born of a virgin. And an old preacher out of the wilderness came preaching. And things got on. We find that that preacher got put in prison, head chopped off. And the Son of God took over and started doing His work. And they really at the last crucified Him. Didn't want Him either. Didn't want His Word in the Old Testament. Didn't want the voice of God in the Old Testament. And now they've come to place and God's turning the, t- the, the, t- the table. He's flipping another leaf. And what they hadn't seen for all those ages is coming to pass. The Son of God was crucified, placed in a tomb, and He arose on the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and nobody could stop Him. And He ushered in the Gospel. And where I'm, it's bringing me up to where I was and where I read a while ago to the second chapter. We find that He not only arose from the dead, but He went up on the Mount of Olives and there He ascended up into glory after 40 years, or 40 days, excuse me, of His resurrection. And he, they saw Him go in the clouds. And He gave a promise that if He went up, He's coming again. He'd done that before. And they watched Him go out of sight. And He told them to tarry in Jerusalem. Uh, 500 of them was gathered together and amen. They waited 10 days. And when the 10 days is up, guess what happened? Several of them had done took off. And there wasn't nothing left but 120. Amen. 380 had gone home. They were out of it. Does that sound familiar of our day? And uh, so they were waiting 10 days. Penty means, you know, 50 or... And so we find 50 days after the resurrection. Chapter 2 starts off and it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, 
They were all with one accord in one place. And if you ever get anything done for God, it's going to have to be in one accord and in one place and one mind. God works that way. He don't work in division. He don't work when there's problems. He works when we're all together. And Christ is not number one in most people's lives today. I'm giving you an example. We're going to look at this and then I pray today God will touch your heart. He said they were all in one accord and in one place. I'm not going to spend time with that. Going to verse 2, he said, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And as a fellow said to me sometime back, he said, A rushing wind came in and blowed over him. I said, Where'd you get that? I don't say that in verse 2. Read it. It said, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. A sound from heaven. That's a sound from above. As of a rushing mighty wind. It's like a rushing wind. I don't believe the wind was blowing, but boy, it sure sounded like it. Amen. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. That made me think about that woman I passed her in the church, and she sat on the second row, a very prominent lady in the church. And she was speaking in tongues in the choir. And I kind of picked up on it and I got over to the side and inched over a little bit and tried to listen. Amen. And listen, sure enough, she was speaking in something I'd never heard before. So I just got up that Sunday night. Hadn't been there long. Six months. And I opened up 1 Corinthians and preached on the whole tongue chapter. And I went verse by verse, word by word. I didn't leave the commas or periods out either. And I got through. And uh, it was I know it was quiet. It's, it's hard to preach in enemy territory. And uh, so she has stood up. And she said, Preacher, I want you to know that I got this gift at my husband's dying bedside. He came in the window flew right around the bottom of the bed and come up and lit on my shoulder. And I've been speaking in tongues ever since. And I said, ma'am, as long as I'm your pastor, you ever get up and speak in tongues again, you better have an interpreter. And I went home. On Monday night, Chairman Board of Deacons called and said, Preacher, I don't know how to tell you this, but I've got to tell you. We had a deacon's meeting, and I said, well, you did? I said, what is it about? He said, about you. And he said, we decided that you shouldn't come back anymore preaching that. And I said, well, I'll preach it again. I'm guilty. Well, then just take your name off your church, and I won't come back. And I'll shake the dust off my feet as a testimony against you because you don't want the Word of God. I lasted six months. Made me think of this. Come in around, out in the window. Have you ever heard that same testimony from others? They just get it from this right here. They look at it. But look here. The Bible said in verse number 3, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire. It didn't say it was fire. Like as fire. 
And I'm not going to get into that. I, I'm not into this business. Amen. I don't. I have a problem using the tongue I've got. What I want another. I'm going to get one more one day. And it won't know what it, this one knows. And it's going to do more glorifying God than it does now. And it ain't going to be speaking to where nobody can understand me. Verse 3. Again, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. I like that. Somebody said, I got the Spirit. The Holy Spirit touched. I like the Holy Spirit. Love Him. Praise God. But it scares me sometimes to hear these, especially Baptists, they say, Oh, I got the Holy Spirit. You mean the Holy Ghost? Uh, well, yeah, I call it the Spirit. Well, it don't scare me to call Him the Holy Ghost. All right. And began to speak with unknown tongues. Did I miss that? Surely I missed that. It said other tongues. I was in a place of business yesterday and there's a man and a woman and a boy in there. And the they didn't look like foreigners to me. They looked a lot like me in the color. And I said, and they're talking, I can't even understand. They're speaking in other tongues. I tell you the truth, they wouldn't even feel with the Holy Ghost. Actually, they're speaking in other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men. I like that devout men. I've seen that a lot of times. I'm going to preach on them devout men one of these days. Devout men. I told one of the churches up yonder, one of the, I was a pastor, and I said, when I die, I don't want, at that time my wife was alive, and I said, I don't want my wife to go pick out my cousins and my uncles and, cous, uh, and uh, nephews that ain't been to church in 40 years. Toting my body down the cemetery. The Bible said Stephen, a devout man, carried him to the cemetery. I told one church and I'd having trouble with the deacons all the time. And I said, I want the deacons to carry me down to the cemetery because I want them to let me down for the last time. But I've changed my mind now. Amen. Amen. I want devout men. Don't you get me somebody that ain't been to church and didn't care for me before I was alive. And while I was alive, get some devout men, get some men of God to carry my body to the cemetery. Said out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language, and that's what they did. Here's these people from all these nations. Verses nine and verse number. 10 and verse number 11. And all of a sudden, they're hearing the gospel for the first time. They're hearing the gospel for the first time. They was preaching to them in their language. That was an amazing thing for those apostles. That was a miracle. Well, here's where I want to get the message. I got the introduction out of line. I'm going to give you what God gave me. Okay, I got about... Four pages of notes. I just jotted and jotted and jotted and I done skipped two pages. Amen. I'm not, I'm not a note preacher. I am not a alliterated preacher. 
I know preachers, they couldn't, they couldn't pastor, or they couldn't make messages up if they didn't have a concordance and they couldn't have a dictionary. One preacher told me, he said, I spend hours a week just reading my dictionary. I said, why do you read a dictionary? I read my Bible. He said, I'm finding words that start with the same letters so I can preach an alliterated sermon. Somebody said, what's wrong with that? I want the Word of God. I don't want the dictionary. So I just preach. I just open the Word of God and preach. I hope you understand that. I said, yeah, I know. We can't make heads or tails or figure out what you're saying all the time. That's okay. So let me look at this just a minute. We're finding something that's happened. We're looking at this. Here they are. Many of them got saved that day. Peter stands up in verse 14 and preaches. He preaches a sermon. He comes on down to read that sermon in chapter number 2. It ends up over here in verse 41. Let's look at verse 41. Peter's preaching. The Lord's speaking. And the people are getting convicted. And these people of different nationalities are getting saved. Now, they're going to have to leave Jerusalem. They're dwelling now in Jerusalem. But they're going to have to go back to their own home. Here's what I want you to get. They're going to go back to their own home. And they're going to have to tell something. They're going to have to tell something. What is it? They're going to have to tell them that they're saved. In verse number 41, it said, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, do you want what the word says, or do you want to read your version? You said, I got the same version you got, preacher. I got the King James Bible. Amen. Hallelujah. But do you want to read it the way it reads, or do you want to read it the way you interpreted it? The Bible said it's of no private interpretation. You have no right to make up your mind that you're going to tell people what the book says when you don't know what it says. I've seen so many deceivers come through the world. I'm not a deceiver. I've been called a lot worse. But I want to tell you this morning, look at this. There's a lot of things that jumps over your playhouse in verse 41. Then they that gladly received His Word. Let's just stop and go back and look before we get to what I was fixed to say. Gladly received His Word. Have you ever seen these walk down aisle chewing their chewing gum? Get down there and preach say something to them. They get up and they, and they come down like they lost their best friend. Well, you said, I was that way when I got saved, preacher, because the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you something. I come down the aisle that day knowing I needed something, and I knew I had to have some help, and I was coming to God. I wasn't a laughing. I wasn't a shouting. But I want to tell you something. My heart was longing after God. I run down there. I had to have some help. 
He swung me out over hell that day. I realized I was going to hell without God. And if He didn't reach down and pick me up, that's where I was going to wind up at. And I'm saying, Lord, I need some help. I didn't look around and see if my friends is coming with me. I didn't look around and see what's going on. I come to the aisle. Matter of fact, I didn't know what was going on. I'd done it before I was even thinking about doing it because the Holy Ghost had done drawn me. He lassoed me and pulled me out of the pew. I went down the aisle and I called on God. Say, well, preacher, I just went down to him, chewing gum, got down there, and the preacher said, Do you believe this? Do you think about that? Do you? Yeah, well, I'll shake my hand now. All right. Now, would you tell everybody what, what happened to you? And a uh, little boy, little girl says, uh, uh, Did the Lord save you? Preacher says. He says, Now, remember, I was the most bashful little boy. When I got saved, as you would ever find. All I said that morning, I did not pray the sinner's prayer. God forgive me. I hope you do. Somebody said, you can't get saved that praying the sinner's prayer. Oh God, be merciful. Did you know what? I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I didn't pray the sinner's prayer. You know what I prayed? Oh God, save me. Tell you the truth, I didn't know what all that meant. I didn't know what it was to be saved. And I said, God, save me. And I say, hallelujah, he did. I didn't know how to say, Lord, forgive me for stepping on that grasshopper. Forgive me for... uh, Saying something somebody shouldn't have said. I didn't name the sins. Hey, I want to tell you something. I just said, God, I'm a sinner. I'm headed to hell. I said, preacher, I didn't even do that. Well, I better go. I better remind you. You might better think about doing that. Time's running out on you. Well, I got up and I didn't say much. But the Lord saved me. I was young. I was 12 when I got saved. But did you know what? Somebody said, well, 12, are you, I don't know whether you get saved at 12 or not. Well, I don't care where you bother me, talk about me. I don't care where you say I ain't saved or not. It ain't for you to know no how. You need to be worried about yourself, not me. I knowed it. And it didn't take six months. It didn't didn't take three years. It didn't take five years. And all of a sudden I woke up one morning and said, Oh, (laughs) I got saved a year ago. (laughs) Hallelujah. But I knew I saved when I left that altar. And it touched me. And I'd go into school. And every time I'd say something, that wasn't just exactly right. The Holy Ghost had pricked me in the heart. I never had had that before. When I picked up my Bible, I, I was never against the Bible. I just never did read it. But I had a desire that day to get in my Bible. And I read it. I'd read it and read it and I'd get through and still didn't know what I read. You ain't never been there, I don't guess. Amen. 
I don't guess any of you ever got saved at a very young age and went to the seminary the next day. I wouldn't even want you to go to seminary now, period. But I want to tell you something. I remember what happened that day. So these fellers remembered what happened to them. Do you think they knowed anything? They didn't know anything about the Lord except what Peter has preached to them in that sermon. And he's saying, now I'm going to send you back over yonder. In our modern day, we get somebody saved and then we'll turn around and give them a new Bible maybe. Give them some literature to take home with them. We'll try to instruct them in this and instruct them in that. And Peter and them didn't even do that because they didn't even have a Bible. The Bible was yet 40, 50, 60 years coming on the face of the earth as a complete Bible. They had the Old Testament law and a few writings of different one, but they didn't have a complete Bible to the end of the book of Revelation until it was recorded. Can you think about that a minute? They're going to send them back to their homeland without a Bible. What'd they have? All they had is a testimony. Well, I can't tell nothing. I ain't got no Bible. I can't tell nobody nothing. You can't? What do you have that's a basis for telling somebody about Jesus? You better have a testimony that you've been exposed to the saving grace of God and you received Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've been birthed in the family of God. Amen. Now I want to go back and read this. You're not going to agree with me on everything. Baptists wouldn't. I'm a Baptist by choice. And the reason I'm a Baptist is because I believe it's the closest thing to the Scriptures. I could not run with any other religion that I know of in the world. And I have a hard time running with the ones I run with, the Baptists. They've misconstrued and tore up the Word of God. Preacher, you're knocking our church? No, I'm knocking the religion of the world. Well, let's just read this. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Verse 40, then verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Now, if you're going to read this and, and not rightly divide the word of truth you're going to think that you have to get baptized to get saved. There's no teaching in the Bible that baptism ever saved or ever will save an individual. When I ask people, can you tell me about your new birth? Can you tell me when you got birthed in the family? Can you tell me when you got saved? And they'll say, well, I was baptized in the river down yonder. I say, that's not what I ask you. You should remember that when people remember more about their baptism than they do their salvation. And that scares me. You should know more about your salvation than you do the baptism. Amen. And when I hear people talk about that, the very first thing I think is just a great possibility this individual I'm talking to has never been to Calvary. They've been to the river. 
All the baptism does is just tell the world that you followed the Lord in baptism and death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. If baptism is important, you said, that's the reason I study a lot about Jesus' baptism because that's what saved Him. Listen, He was already God. And He didn't have to be baptized. He just went into that to show you you need it for service. I ain't got time to talk about all that. I got so much I want to dig into. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Let me show you something. In our modern day, people walk down the aisle, they get saved, they say they get saved, they tell you they get saved, uh, they try to convince you that they got saved, and many of them will get up and go right back out in the world do the same things they used to do before they ever say got, they got saved. Cuss the same way they used to cuss. They might put a little slant of golly, godliness on it, and you can't do it. may put a different coat of mayonnaise on your salvation, but it's got to be real. It ain't no good. You could be a hypocrite. All right? What you do, you baptize them. And if they ain't got the salvation of God first, and haven't believed first, hadn't got saved first, then what you're going to have in your church is somebody that's just a, a wet sinner. Been raised a wet sinner, and they don't know God, and you're going to have problems with them. And they're going to have problems with you. Y'all still comfortable yet? Should we move on? Then guess what? On that day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved. They gladly received the word. They were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. In our day, we baptize them. After we baptize them, we bring them back into the church. Uh, well, before we baptize them, they've got to join the church. You know how it is in the Baptist faith. Got to join the church. Uh, have you been saved? Yeah, been saved. Well, we are baptized. Uh, how many is all in favor taking this and by, by faith and baptizing them? And they join the church. Now we got some we got joined. Now we got to baptize them. We go baptize them. And then we take them out of the water and bring them back to the church house. And then we say, hey, we want everybody to receive these in. How many are in a favor of receiving all these in? Where in the world do you find that in my Bible? Or even in yours? God added them to the church. Do you think Jesus was around baptizing every day? No. Amen. I know that. I felt that and kind of go over like a lead balloon. But that don't bother me. Somebody said, you mean you baptized somebody if they said, I'm, I'm saved and they didn't want to join your church? I said, yeah. If they can prove to me they've been saved. I'll question them. Amen. You understand? Where is it saying you, you've got to join the church? Matter of fact, God put you in the church when you got saved. Now, don't you go out and lie on me. I've joined every church I've ever pastored. I've, I got to thinking about them yesterday. How many have I been a part of? The reason I did that is because I said, how in the world can I pastor these 
people if I'm not part of them. And I've joined every one I've ever pastored. Amen. And then you, they join, they say, oh, praise God, I've been baptized, I've joined the church, I've got a church letter. How many of you in here got a church letter in your possession anywhere? Raise your hand. I mean, I can show you my church letter. Did you know I didn't know I had one? They just said I did. And every time I joined, I sent for the letter from wherever I was from. And they just sent a piece of paper saying he's in good standing. Or some preachers just lie and say, well, we want to get rid of them, so yeah, they're in good standing. <laughs> Amen. So I'm telling you, we get it all messed up. We get twisted in the Word. Let me just tell you what they do when they went back to their hometown to try to win. You said, oh, they went back to their churches. Oh, yeah? Show me in the Bible where they had churches. They didn't even have a, didn't even have a building to put them in. They met from house to house. Am I out of the Bible or is I still in the book? All right. Well, they didn't even have nothing but a testimony. What do you need? Didn't have a Bible? You say, what are you saying all that for? Ladies and gentlemen, you've got a full Bible. You've got a wireless full of sinners. And you've got the Bible and the Holy Ghost of God. And you're a part of the body of Christ. And God has commanded you to go. And with a full Bible, you don't tell nobody. You're going to face God and pay a price when we stand before God with all the utensils we've got. Is this right? Told you, Lord, tell me to tell it, I'm going to tell it. Well, if you look at verse 42... You'll find out that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They broke bread. They prayed. Uh, they had all things in common. They continued daily. The Bible said they found favor with the people. And the Lord added to the church daily. They weren't joining churches. God just added them to them. One church or one group of people couldn't say we baptized 25 yesterday and 13 uh, day before yesterday and 25 the day before that. And we had uh, so many, add all that up, and we had them to join this week. I get tired of hearing preachers talking about we had this and to join that and join. I'm glad people come. Listen, I appreciate everybody that comes in this door. Well, let's think about something. I was just thinking about these boys. And, uh, you know, we found out this. People won't go to church unless you got something for them. You know, the crowds don't gather to little churches. I hear people say, little bitty churches, you got a little church. If you get right with God, you ch- God will fill your church up. Now, would you give me Scripture and verse that it's the pastor's job to add to the church. 
You're the sheep. The shepherd, he can't bear sheep. Who bears sheep? The sheep. Well, get at it. Amen. It's my job to show you how to eat. It's my job to give you water from the throne of God. It's my job to lead you into righteousness for His name's sake. It's my place to feed your soul so that you'll grow and get fat and multiply. Uh, I hope y'all didn't come starving. I'm going to get through part of what I want to preach. But don't I'm going to have to... It's going to be a little while. It's going to be Wednesday before I get to preach again. And I don't believe I'd make it to Wednesday without telling all this. Seriously. So you're going to have to take some with you. You can't build churches. and You know why? Let me tell you why. Because the crowds don't gather to little churches, preacher. That is right. So you, to get them here, you've got to have carnivals. Trunk or treats that they're working on now. Heard a preacher on the radios this morning said he went by church after church after church last week going to Virginia to preach in a meeting on uh, last Sunday night and said he was surprised, he was amazed at the churches that were out having service on Sunday night from Greenville, South Carolina to Virginia. <laughs> All right. You got to have horror houses and egg hunts and car washes and car shows and fellowship suppers and games of all kinds, Valentine's parties and singings of all sort, high-powered evangelists, chalk artists, magic shows, uh, preachers and puppet shows and cantatas and bands and dim lights and screens on the wall and contemporary music and Christian rock music and conventional services mixed with contemporary services, old-fashioned days, holiday celebrations, youth centers, recreation halls, basketballs, hoops, basketball team or baseball teams, cheerleaders, and many other gimmicks and gags, bookstores and bake sales and garage sales and pom-poms and goldfish swallowing and uh, while I'm leaving off the weightier matters of the law. you got to help uh, people uh, to do it and that you can't find people they, that will love it, that they despise soul winning, despise praising God, despise praying in the Holy Ghost, despise testifying uh, strong, and, and despise strong preaching, despise memorizing, and despise quoting Scripture. They despise holy living. They despise separation from the world. They despise holiness. They despise repenting. They despise confessing. They despise glorifying God. They despise preaching on hell, amen, and they despise preaching on right living. They preach, they uh, sometimes preach on fleeing fornication and they don't like that either against adultery and they don't like that and uh, they preach, uh, sometimes preachers preach on wives swapping, not many. Shacking up, not many. Lying and cussing and drinking and going half naked and have a scared of dress codes and gossiping and busy bodies and loving God and studying. But instead they like ball games and swimming and beaches and vacations and fishing on Sunday, hunting on Sunday and uh, uh, you know, just shouting and all that. They don't like that. You're right, 
Don't even like going to church on a regular basis. Now I'm going to give you the last part of the message. We'll go home. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. He said, I don't want to take all that. You're going to take a load home with you today. I was up most of the night last night. This is eating me alive. The world's going to hell. You're right close to the coming of the Lord. You can't tell the church from the world, and you can't tell the world from the church. People are doing the same things in the church that they're doing out of the church. Only in here, we're supposed to have the name of God on it. And we can't even find that. Amen. And you said, well, preacher, I'd come to church if anybody would invite me. Let me just give you a step further on that. You hadn't had an invitation to come to church. Sometimes I invite people. Church people invite people. But I'll give you one higher than that. God's give you a command if you're saved. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 through verse 25. I'm going to hurry to go through these verses. I'll come back to it because I know I'm not going to do justice to it. But I don't want you going home not knowing anything about it. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Do you know what he's talking about when he said to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus? What is the holiest? In the Old Testament day, there was three compartments to the the tabernacle. You had the outer court, the middle court, and the inner court. The outer court was on the outside. Then they had a veil and went in it called a holy place. That's where the priest done his offerings and his uh, and uh, sprinkling the blood and keeping up everything, kept the light burning, all that. Then the high priest had to take blood, come through all that, and then he come to the last veil. When he got to the last veil, he went inside the veil. And on the inside of that veil was the Ark of the Covenant. The cherubim's looking down and there's that golden altar. And that's where they sprinkle the blood for the people of God. That's called the holiest of holies. That's called the holiest of all. Now, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, ever saying of God, we're not in the Old Testament economy. Jesus became the priest, the high priest, the only priest that you will ever need. He was a sacrifice and the only sacrifice that you will ever need. And He walked into that holiest of holies and brother sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. Where? Over in glory. Brother, that's where the blood of Christ is. God accepted that blood and God wants you and me to get into the holiest. We come to the house of God. This is to be the holiest of our life. We're at the holiest place that we can be on before we get to glory. Right here at the house of God. Are you still with me? Can I give you a little bit more? Please say yes. Okay. He said, By a new and living way, verse 20, which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. Now remember, the veil, now it's His flesh. What happened to His veil? He was crucified, buried, and rose again. And he was the open door and the access to God the Father. Now if you want to come to God and find His fellowship at the house of God, you're going to have to have His touch 
and His blood. He's the only, he's the only mediator between us and God. There's one mediator between man and, and between man and God, and that is Jesus Christ. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us, these three let us there, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. I was going to preach on that, but I won't now. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast. That's the second one. The profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And here's what He said. Not forsaken. God said, not forsaken. God said, I have a problem when I've saved you, redeemed you out of hell, washed you with my blood, forgiven you of my, uh, forgiven you of your sins through my blood, and cast your sins behind my back never to be remembered. And then you won't even have the audacity to come to the house of God and give me praise. Do you see this, ladies and gentlemen? You think God's tickled when you don't show up? Matter of fact, I'll tell you this. He's done got you checked up for next week. He knows where you're going to be here next week or not. Already. Matter of fact, I can go another step. He knows how many more times before you leave this world that you're going to forsake His house. He's already got that. He's not going to wait till you get to glory and do a calculation and figure out how many. He's already knows. Ain't that tough? He knows what kind of excuse you're having to figure out why you can't be there next week. You don't even know what it is yet. Mm. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Brother Burrow's preaching tonight so I can give you a little extra this morning. Amen. Amen. I probably done cut it. I will tell you one more thing. Lord willing. One more time. One more thing I'm going to say. They sent them boys back to their place. They didn't have a Bible. All they had is a testimony. You said, How could I win somebody with a testimony? I'm going to explain it to you. Can I explain it? Yeah. If you don't have a Bible, say, suppose you lived in a country, didn't have a Bible, they took it away from you. A lot of people living in countries don't have a Bible. Can't have one. Countries won't let them have one. If they do get one, they have to hide. But suppose you say, I ain't got no Bible. I can't win nobody to God. I got news for you. Whether you got a Bible or not, you ain't going to do it anyhow. You done showed the Lord. Yeah. But I'll explain it to you. The Lord's walking down, say, the streets of Jerusalem. He runs into a fellow. He's blind. Never, never seen one, one smidgen of daylight in his life. He's stagnant. He doesn't know which way to go. Been born that way from his birth. Some old Pharisees come along and said, Who sinned? His parents or him? That he's born blind. The Lord didn't answer him. So he touches that man's eye. 
Just as soon as he touches his eyes, he opens them. And for the first time in his life, he sees what a tree is. He sees oh, the brightness, the beauty, the glory, all that. It's a type of salvation. You, when you got saved, you saw things you'd never seen before. Well, here they come out. Jesus done went on down the road, and they come to him, and he's. They notice this difference in him. Yes, sir. I opened your blind eyes today. You'd never seen in life. I guarantee you, there'd be a difference in you. For the first time, he ain't a staggering no more. He's a everything's so. He's seeing people. He don't even know who you've been talking to and walking with all the time. Ooh, it's, it's glorious. It's magnificent. Somebody walks up to him and said, uh, who touched you or what happened to you? He said, I don't know. He said, who done it? Was it Jesus? I don't know. Somebody touched you. Yeah. Man. No, my eyes. Who was it? I don't know. Amen. Is that a testimony or not? That's what happened there on the day of Pentecost. That boys went back to their town, sat and didn't have a church to get in no Bible to read out of, and didn't know nothing about preaching. They just wanted to give a testimony. And everybody stopped getting saved right and left, right and left. Why? Because somebody had a testimony that was real. That's why I say, ladies and gentlemen, if you can't go back to Calvary and know that God made a change in your heart and life, you better check up today. Because you're not going to touch nobody with a just old worldly life, and everybody else has got all of them's got that. Yeah, you're going to have some something to tell. You're going to have to tell them something, and you're going to have to have some experience with God. Come on, the piano before I start again. I'm not going to apologize for the message. I'm not going to apologize for staying a little longer. You got about half this sermon.